good today and uh, got our hearts stirred and most of all got our, our spirit stirred up for God. Amen? You know, I want to just tell you about a couple of things so I don't forget to do this. September 21st, we're going to two services, 9 and 11, all right, 9 and 11, where we're going to ask you to adopt a service. That means you're going to come, you're going to build it, you're going to invite people to that service. You're not locked to it, but we're going to have you do that for us. And then the second thing is October 5th, mark it down, don't go out of town. My old friend, uh, Mosab Yosef, whose father founded Hamas, the Green Prince, will be with us on that day. If you've heard his story, he was uh, considered the most valuable asset to Israel as a spy. Uh, God turned his heart. He confessed Jesus Christ as a Savior. He has uh, been on Fox News this last week, CNN, Communist News Network, this last week. And, uh, and you're going to be thrilled to, if you have not heard his story or read his book, it is amazing and it's timely in what's going on. The other thing I want to tell you about the two services that are coming up, uh, we decided, uh, actually I decided since the burden's on me, uh, that I'm going to be preaching two different messages every week. So uh, one of those ser services, I'm going to be talking about prophecy and current events. We're going to spend three months talking about what's going on in our world today, tying them to current events. The second one will be called Outside the Walls, how we get outside the walls of this church to impact the world for Jesus Christ. And I believe that, uh, that Jared and Lucinda coming, you know, coming on as our uh, staff evangelist, being a part of what we're doing is going to be just monumental to the kingdom of God. And there, I mean, there's some exciting things happening, Amen. And uh, yeah, let's give God the glory. Can you do that? Uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus' fame. You know, a lot of people ask me about the, uh, uh, the name Influence Church. They say, that seems like an odd name. Why did you come up with the name Influence? Well, my personal mission has been for many, many years to influence influencers for the kingdom of God. And when God put it on our heart to start a church... As Tammy and I prayed about it and thought about it, it seemed to be that, that that was the message we wanted to do. We wanted you as an influencer to influence someone for Jesus Christ. Our personal, our, our church mission statement goes something like this, and, and we have it there on the screens. It says, to influence the world and spread God's fame, that many may believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me tell you a story about a man of influence in my life. When I was saved, it wasn't very long after that I became the senior pastor of a church. About two years into salvation, I was a senior pastor of a local church. Now, you know how much I knew about that at that time? About nothing, right? I knew very, very little. I took my first church. It was in South Louisiana, and that's a whole different culture. If you can imagine, it is just exactly what you imagine, and... And so on the, on the first day um, that I was the pastor there, on Saturday before, a man by the name of Ansel Carruth showed up, and he said, I want you to go talk to my friend about Jesus. And I thought to myself, okay, that's my job. I'm a pastor. Let's go get him, right? And on the way, this is a story he tells me. His name is Martin Young, and I've been sharing my faith with him for 50 years. 
And I'm thinking to myself, and Ansel was just an amazing man of God, led many, many people to faith in Christ. Uh, in fact, in his lifetime, he gave over one million copies of his personal testimony. There, there was not a week went by that did not, he did not get a letter from somebody in the world saying, I've received Jesus Christ. Now, he is the ultimate soul winner, and I'm the new guy in the block. So he says to me, now, on the way over, here's what's going to happen. His wife doesn't like me talking about Jesus. And I'm thinking, no kidding, after 50 years, <laughs> right? Ansel's showing up week after week after week. He's 94 years old. Martin's 94. He said, so what will happen is we'll go out on the porch. The wife will come out. I mean, he knew the drill. Wife will come out. She'll offer us iced tea. She'll go in. We've got about five minutes till she comes back out and disrupts the whole thing. So you got to do this in five minutes. 50 years he's invested. He gives me five minutes. But he's laid some good groundwork, right? So we sit down, and, I, and, um, and Ansel says, let me pray. Well, he drops down on all fours like a dog. He starts praying like Elijah the prophet. I look over. I'm peeking. You ever peek during prayer? I'm peeking over here looking at him, and veins are sticking out of his neck. Spit's coming out of his mouth. I'm thinking, oh, God, and he's calling heaven down, and I'm sitting there, oh, God, I just want to go home. I'm so intimidated by this guy. I really felt like I was in the presence of a prophet. And then he said, amen, he looked at me, and he said, now, preacher, tell him how to be saved. And I'm in shock. So I look at Martin. I said, Martin, hold my hands. I said, Martin... I want you to pray this prayer with me right now out loud. I mean, what, what could I tell him after 50 years? It's time for a decision. Close his eyes. I said, dear Lord. He said, dear Lord. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus died on the cross. He's repeating it. I want to ask you into my life. And he shouts, "Woo!" Kind of scared me. Preacher, I'm feeling something. Keep praying. I want to ask you into my life. He said, I want to ask you into my life. I give you my, my heart. I give you my heart. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you died and rose again to save me. To save me. And I said, now, Martin, in your own words, thank you. Jesus, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for giving me eternal life. Amen. Right then, his wife walked through the door. <laughs> he looked at his wife and he said, I've just asked Jesus into my life. Martin only lived one more year. He died at 95. But he entered into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by faith. Amen. I want to talk to you today about Jesus' fame. The goal, the goal of every one of us should be this, to lift up Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Your goal, your personal goal to say, how can I, in my life, influence people for Jesus Christ? Lifting his name up so that they might understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you are the key to someone's future. Think about it like this. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's your responsibility and mine. I hold a key to their future. 
Because I don't know if anyone's going to ever tell them about Jesus Christ. I don't know if anyone is ever going to communicate the power of God and the, 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 the plan of salvation to anyone. I hold the key. What will I do with that key? I have to make Jesus famous to them. And a lot of people, they're hesitant because they say, well, I don't have information. I don't have as much knowledge. I don't know. You don't need a lot. You realize how little the disciples had when they began their ministry with Jesus, how, they, how little they really knew? All they really knew was, he told me this, and I'm going to tell you that. There's nothing wrong with telling somebody when they ask you a question. I don't know the answer to your question, but, but I know Jesus saved me. And that's transformational. Also, his name brings his presence. When you speak the name of Jesus, you know what happens? God shows up. Just speak the name of Jesus. God shows up. Get in a conversation, say Jesus, and watch what happened. You'll see the entire atmosphere change. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been talking to people, and they didn't know I was a preacher, and they were, they were just going off on every tangent known to man. And they go, what do you do? And I go, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor of a church. You want to see somebody change? I mean, you know, you almost would say, we've got to get the paddles out. This guy's heart just stopped. But there's something about the name of Jesus that's transformational. Now, I want to take you to the book of Mark in chapter 1, and I want you to see this call that Jesus made on these disciples. He's got four guys recruited when we start this story in verse 21. Now, they don't know anything about this whole thing. Now, remember, imagine this scene. Jesus is walking along. He looks over at someone and says, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they do it. There was something so powerful about him that it was almost irresistible. When a person is willing to hear and open to the truth, Jesus Christ is irresistible. I ask people, are you an honest doubter or a dishonest doubter? In other words, if you're an honest doubter, then you're not going to be afraid to search out for the claims of God and see what God has to say. If you're a dishonest doubter, then you don't want to hear truth. You don't want to hear evidence. You don't want to hear scripture. You just reject it immediately. If you're a dishonest doubter, then th there's nothing we can do. But if you're an honest doubter, there's plenty that, that you can do. You can understand God. So Jesus comes along, and look with me in Mark chapter 1, and beginning in verse 21. It says, then they went to Capernaum. Now remember, there's been no training. The first thing Jesus does is he launches them into, really, evangelism 501, not 101. He says, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So he goes into this Jewish synagogue, he gets, as a rabbi would be able to, he begins the scrolls and he begins to teach. And they were astonished. Now the Greek word there means they were panic stricken. Astonished doesn't really carry the implication of this Greek word. It means that they were terrified at what he heard. They'd never heard anything like it before. They thought the scriptures were the same, but the application and the power was different. They were panicked at his teaching, for he taught them as having authority, and literally that's the word influence or power. When he taught, there was something that was pressing in on them. There was something that was different about this that they couldn't explain, they couldn't put their finger on, but they knew it was different as one having authority and as not as the scribes. 
Now, these scribes of the law, they were teachers of the law. They were reading the scriptures, but they were making everybody comfortable. They were telling everybody what they wanted to hear. They were putting people to sleep. If you fall asleep, we have people that wake you up. We have a whole ministry of wakers. And go on with me, verse 23. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now imagine this. A man cried out. Now imagine this. You're sitting in church, all of a sudden the guy next to you is crying out and he's demon-possessed. It will wake you up. It will get your attention. But he had been in the synagogue content to come week after week, and he was never challenged by the Spirit of God or by the power of God. Life just went on as normal. But when Jesus comes in, the presence of God comes in, something begins to change. You see, when you encounter the presence of God, your life is never the same. It's not about religion. I tell people all the time, and I I like to keep saying it because it has a great shock effect. I hate religion, but I love Jesus. See, religion is all about man trying to do enough good to please God. But Jesus is about him loving us, accepting us as we are, and be willing to change our life by his power. That's that's a pretty good message. Now look what this man said, saying, let us alone. So now all of a sudden, the guy who's sitting there in the synagogue, who's been comfortable all these years, Jesus comes in, and out of this guy comes multiple voices. Well, it's getting a little scary in, in the synagogue, right? And it says, Let us alone, for what do we with you, Jesus of Nazareth, did you come, did you come to destroy us? Now, that word come there means come from another place. It's not like I came from next door. He's talking about, I know who you are. You came from heaven to earth. I know all about you. You are the Holy One of God. Now, let me just, uh, if you can just kind of mark your Bibles there and go back with me to the book of Matthew for just a moment. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And look at what it says here. It's another story very similar. And I want you to see something about what the uh, unseen demonic world knows that most Christians don't even live in the reality of. Look what it says here. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. When he had come to the other side of the country... Uh, there he met two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Now, here's what I want you to listen to. This is the key. Suddenly, they cried out, saying, What do you have uh, to do with us, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, the fallen angelic world, the demonic world, knows there is a judgment coming. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. They know there's a judgment coming. Have you come here before the time? You see, a similar thing that's happening in our story, if you go back now to the book of Mark, it says, I know who you are. Did you come? Did you come from another place to destroy us? Is this the time? They know the time's coming. They just don't know when the time is. You see, Satan knows the word of God. He just doesn't believe it. Knowing it is not enough. You have to believe it. You have to enter in. Knowing about God isn't enough. You have to know God. Now, verse 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. 
In other words, I don't want, I'm not going to enlist you to do my work. I have disciples to do that. I want the message to come from someone who loves me, not from someone who hates me. I want purity coming out in that love relationship. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed and cried, and this, this word cry here is the cry of a raven, it's the cry of vengeance. You see, when you study the Greek, you get a little bit more of the nuance of what's really going on there, and you, you kind of get the depth of this. You're not just like cried out and goes, ah, this is like a raven. You ever heard a raven? we got this big raven in our backyard. It comes up there and it makes this big sound, all the little birds scatter. Man, if I had a gun, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, all you bird lovers, all right? Cried out with a loud voice and he came out of him and then they were all amazed. I guess so. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, there's that same word, influence and power, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And look what it says, and immediately his fame spread. Immediately his fame spread throughout all the region and around the Galilee. What we see here is something of the character of God being revealed in the synagogue. You see, Jesus opened up the kingdom power in that place. It was a Jewish synagogue. But guess what? All of a sudden, kingdom power shows up and people become aware that, wow, our world is bigger than we thought it was. It's different than we thought it was. They saw God in a new way. You know what happens sometimes? We get in our mind what God is like and what God does and what God won't do, and we get so gelled down there that we can't see anything else that God's up to. Then all of a sudden, we hear a testimony, we hear a story, and we go, and the Spirit of God says, see, I'm bigger than you thought I was. I'm a lot more powerful than you thought I was. I love you a lot more than you thought I did. Think about this. God loves you just the way you are. Whether you love him or not, he loves you. But God, because he loves you, he wants to bring you from where you are to a better place, a place of grace and a place of love. If you're a Christian and you struggle with whether God loves you, I want, I want to assure you on the word of God, he loves you. If you feel guilty, it's not from God. Conviction comes from God. Guilt comes from Satan, your neighbor, and your spouse. <laughs> Amen? It doesn't come from God. God, see, guilt, you just never get out from under the way. I always feel guilty, 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 guilty. And guilt, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. If you feel guilty, you've got to give to somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. He created an atmosphere of expectation. You think those guys weren't coming back next week to the synagogue? They're talking about, you know what happened over there? You remember old Joe that used to sit on the second row? That dude had like nine voices coming out of him, and all of a sudden, man, he convulsed, screamed like a raven, and things transformed in our, in our synagogue. I'm going back to see if Jesus shows up again. You see, what makes us want to go back is if Jesus is showing up. Amen. It's all about Jesus, amen? amen? Can you just say that with me? It's all, about, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me, not about you, not about anything. It's just about Jesus. An awareness of his of his presence changes the atmosphere in the room. An awareness of his presence changes the atmosphere of the room. 
We need to act as though heaven is open, not pray for it to open. Act as though heaven is open. In other words, God just wants to bless you from heaven. God wants to just pour out heavenly blessings on you. Now, I want you to listen really carefully to what I'm getting ready to say, and, and I want to read it so I make sure I get it exactly the way I wrote it. We undermine our confidence in God when, I, when we feed ourselves on what God hasn't done. Now, let me say it again. We undermine our confidence in God when we feed ourselves on what God hasn't done. Let me model that for you. Well, God, you know, God didn't come through. God didn't answer my prayer. You know what you do? You're diminishing your confidence in God. You're destroying your faith every time you say that. On the other hand, when you recall the things of God that God has done, now listen to this, you release what God wants to do. Let me say it one more time. When you recall the things that God has done, you release what God wants to do. When I give a testimony and say, look what God did for me, look what God did for so-and-so, look what God is doing, what I'm doing is I'm releasing God into my world and into my life, and I'm allowing him to, to do what he does best. See, I don't need to get things done. I don't need to pursue revival. Revival pursues me. I don't need to pursue miracles. Per miracles pursue, pursue me when I just open my hands and say, God, this is your job. Your job is to work miracles. It's not mine. I just want to be the vessel. I want to be there when it happens. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about the works of God. You see, testimony creates an appetite for the activity of God. You ever heard someone give a testimony of, of God's power, God's grace, and you're sitting there going, wow, I want to be a part of that. Have you ever had that experience? You go, I want that. I want a miracle. I want to see God do that. Or it took you back and you say, God, I'm going to trust you now. I'm going to believe you. When expect, expectation grows, miracles increase. You want to raise your expectation of what God can do because heaven is open and we want to receive what God has for us. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about someone who's here today whose name is Ashley. Ashley seated, seated right over here. Ashley, would you just stand up and wave your hand before I tell your story? Give her a hand in advance. Thank you, Ashley. I met Ashley a couple of months ago, and one of the things I said to her is, you need a miracle. And I want to tell you about the miracle. September 26, 2012, she had bladder failure. She's 26 years old today. She's 24 at the time. She was terrified. She's a singer and a dancer. She thought she would never be on stage again, let alone live. She was in severe pain, in and out of the hospital, had 13 surgeries, countless doctors giving up, unsure of what caused or can cure the severe, uh, the, the problem she had. She had severe allergic reactions and took every pain pill possible prescribed. Now hold that story in, in check for a moment. About three weeks ago, a man in our church named Dan, he came to me and he, he came to me asking advice, and he said, you know, I really feel like uh, years ago I was involved in praying for people, and I haven't done it, and I got a little discouraged by it and from some different things I saw, and, and uh, what advice would you give me? And I said, well, just go pray for somebody. And he looked at me like, that all you got? 
I didn't know it at the time. He was a little angry, angry at me, just a little mad, a little frustrated. You know, I went to my pastor to get some good advice, and I said, go pray for people. It seemed like good advice at the time. So on Monday, he came up to me at our school of ministry this past uh, Monday, and uh, he told me, he said, you know, I was really aggravated at you, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, okay. And, and so then he begins, but then I realized that was exactly what I needed to do. That was exactly the best thing I needed to do. He said, so he began to tell me this story. He said, I had this vision. I saw this vision of this girl, and I was supposed to pray for her, and she was seated in a restaurant. I thought, well, that's odd. I've never seen this girl. I don't know anything about it. So uh, about a week ago, they, they went to a restaurant, and uh, all of them, there's about six or eight of them there, and he was running a little bit late. He came in, and he went to sit down, and he looked, and there was a girl sitting there. It was Ashley, and he said, that's, he said you're the girl in the vision. I need to pray for you. And as the story unfolds, they go out into the uh, parking lot, the group of them, and, they, and he prays for her. And then later in the week, they come over, a group of our prayer team, and they pray for Ashley. And uh, let me fast forward. Ashley goes to the doctor. And the doctor walked in and shook her hand and said, and I quote, I don't know what you did, but congratulations. It appears that all is well. You have a new bladder. She said, I was speechless. I immediately thanked God and cried with my hands on my face. And I quote her, my, my story can go on for days. Botched surgeries, fear, faith, love, courage that ran through my spirit. My journey has not been in vain. I am not a victim. I am a warrior for God. I am a fighter. I'm on a journey to share my story and give uh, to those who feel lost hope. Amen. Amen. Psalm, Psalm 145 and verse 4. Just jot this one down. You're going to want this one. Listen to what it says. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You know, if we had only seen one person healed in two years, I would say it was a coincidence. It was a fluke. We got lucky. But God is just revealing his works to us. You realize the disciples saw the works before they ever got the word. See, sometimes it's the works that lead you to the word. Sometimes the word that leads you to the works. But both are critically important in this kingdom journey. You see, without seeing the power of God and the display of God in our life, it gets reduced to showing up on Sunday morning, hoping the music and the sermon are compatible with our taste and where we are in life, going home only to do it one more time again the next seven days. But when you begin to see God work, when you begin to see God move, you begin to see the hand of God and the works of God, you step back and you go, what is God up to? For those of you who are new, relatively new, or visiting this building itself is a work of God. It really is. This church started in February of 2012. This building was purchased a year ago, almost to the day. It was renovated in about 120 days. That just doesn't happen. 
People don't loan money to people who've been in business 14 months. They don't like to loan it to you anyway. Amen? And we've seen God's divine hand. We put a time chain on a timeline on the back of your bulletin just so you can see kind of where we've come from in these short two and a half years that we've been in existence. That's a miracle. That's the work of God. I always say, if this is what God can do in two and a half years, what can God do in five? If that's why, if we, if we just launch ourselves into the future and say, if that, imagine five years, imagine 20 years, imagine 20 years from today if you're still alive and I'm still alive and the Lord hasn't returned. Imagine 20 years from today and you look back and say, I remember when that I was involved in the works of God instead of in church. You see the difference? Let me ask you something. If somebody's sick, are they going to go to a religious church or are they going to come here? I'm going to go where I think God can help me. The testimony of God, the miracles of God. We just want to see God open up heaven for us. You know, I was praying the other day and I, was, I came to that passage in Matthew where, where Jesus says... Um, you know, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out workers into his harvest. And as he said that, I just had this vision of, of this community and surrounding communities and just doors opening up. I said, God, we can't reach them all. We don't even know them all. But your spirit can draw them. There's a story. I want to take you one more passage of Scripture. It's in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It says here in verse 9, and, and this is so powerful, guys. I don't want you to miss it. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Now, here's what's interesting. Ephraim was equipped for battle. They had armor. They had their bows. They had their shields. They had their swords. They had everything. They were trained and ready to go. But now watch what happens. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in the law. And now listen to this. This is the key and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. You see, what happens is when you forget the works and the wonders of God, you turn back in the day of battle because you're not sure if God's going to come through with a miracle. And if God doesn't come through with a miracle, what am I going to do? Fear grabs my heart. I fall back. I'm not confident in the Lord and the things of the Lord. You see, we want to we tap into the power of God. Three, three scriptures formed a basis for the formation of this church, and I want to give them to you. The first one I call generational fame. Let's look at this scripture, Psalm 135 and verse 13. Look what it says. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. We want to be a church that talks about generational, generational fame. I want every generation to know God. Kenneth Scott Latterette, that great church historian, said the church is only one generation into paganism. If we don't, if we don't treat, teach the next generation the gospel of Jesus Christ, we move into a post-Christian nation like Europe has. We move into a world that's, where God is unknown or God becomes any God that you like. There's also this geographical fame. Look at what it says. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around the Galilee. It's geographical. You see people say, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm going to go over there. 
You know, when I used to do ministry down in El Salvador, I did crusades four to five times a year. And when I was preaching those crusades, we'd go into certain cities and there was darkness in the city. We'd go into other cities, there was openness in the city. You see, when the Spirit of God begins to move, it does have a geographical effect. There are points in history and points in the world where revival broke out. We want to have uh, that geographical fame of Jesus where people say, Jesus is over there. Let's go over there. Let's go see what God is doing over there. And then there's supernatural fame, Matthew 4 and 24. Then his fame went out throughout all of Syria. They brought him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Supernatural fame. Let me tell you the great power of God. It goes like this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. You see, when I put my faith in Jesus, a transformation takes place in my heart. I become a child of God. His spirit enters my heart. I become what the Bible calls a new creature. I'm transformed. We want that for you. Everyone, and we want you to take that message to everyone you know. Let me give you a few life applications. Here's what I've learned. Making a commitment, a real commitment, is the first step in moving forward with God. You have to say, I make a commitment. I may not know what all is involved in it, but I commit myself to something. And then don't give up on it. Act on your commitment. What are you committing to do? I'm going to tell my friend that you just put on my heart, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to bring them to the movie tonight. If you don't know what to say, bring them tonight, and you'll have it all taken care of. But you're going to be the, the person who, use, who God uses. See, we're in partnership with God. God says, I know you don't have all the answers, but let me take advantage of the tools we have, take advantage of the opportunities we have, the events we have, and bring people to faith in Christ. Act on your commitment, and then don't wait. Do it right now. See, when God moves, say, I'm doing it now. You say, I'm going to think about that. You'll forget about that. If you're like me, you'll forget about it. You want to act on it now. You just want to say yes to Jesus right away. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask you right now to think about making that commitment to God, making that commitment to God. What is God telling you right now you need to do? Let's bow our heads. The commitment God may be putting on your heart right now as a Christian is a commitment that says, I need to step up. I need to tell the story the best I can. I need to take advantage of opportunities like the one that we have tonight. I need to make that commitment and say yes. I need to get on the phone and call someone. I need to invite someone. I need to bring some with me tonight that I've been thinking about and praying about that they need Jesus. They need a touch from God. Would you make that commitment right now in your own heart? Your commitment might be, I need to step up in my faith. I need to listen to the testimonies of God and realize the works of God drive me to faith. I want to be a deeper 
person of faith. I want to walk in truth and walk in the life of Almighty God. I want to see heaven unfold before me as I see my friends and my family transformed by your power, Almighty God. Your decision, your commitment might be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you believe today? Would you say yes to him? I started this message today with a story about a man by the name of Martin Young. For 50 years, he turned away from the truth, the message of God. And then one day, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. Most of us don't have 50 years to wait, and why would we waste 50 years if we did? We have today. That's the only promise we have is today. I'm going to ask you right now, would you pray with me and receive Christ? Would you give your heart, would you make this commitment to Jesus today? I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray it if you would like to receive Christ. It's your prayer. It's your faith. I'm just helping you and guiding you on the journey. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried and rose again to give me eternal life. Forgive me for my sins. Wash them all away. Give me the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. Write my name in the book, in the Lamb's book of life, that I might have salvation. Give me the assurance that you do love me and you have saved me this very, very moment. And your own heart, would you just thank him for saving you? Just in your own words, something like this. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you heard my prayer of faith. You received me into your kingdom. And I want to live for you, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. You may not know what all that means and how you do that, but we want to help you, and we want to guide you in that journey. We want to pray with you, and we want to help you in your commitment. So today I ask for three different kind of commitments from you. I ask the commitment that says, I need to invite someone. The second commitment is, I need to step up and live out my life as a Christian in a stronger way. And the third one is, I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you give us the opportunity to help you through those commitments? We're going to open this altar up here at the front. We're going to invite you to come. There'll be people here on staff and members of our prayer team will be here to, to pray with you and encourage you and, and help to guide you down that journey. Sometimes we just need a little, just a little someone to put their arm around us and support us and say, hey, you can do this. Let us be those, that team for you. Would you do that?